The second reading can be found in the Pew Bible on page 1227. It's taken from 1 John chapter 3, reading verses 11 to 18. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the, to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Thank you very much, Val. We should love one another. A simple message, you might think. You might think, uh, oh, uh, message in church about loving others. That's very straightforward. This is all motherhood and apple pie. Or maybe for Mothering Sunday, motherhood and simnel cake. Not, not a very hard message to grasp, you might think. But if it's so obvious, why did John bother to write about us? Why is there so much in this epistle that we're going through during our morning services, so much in the gospel he wrote, which we're going through in home groups, about this subject of loving each other. Maybe there's more to be said about it than we realise. The first thing to note from today's passage is that it is not simply straightforward as uh, love other people, but we should love one another. This is love within a group that is being referred to. John is addressing a particular group, uh, namely Christians, as he's writing. He's not just telling a a bunch of friends who already care for each other to love each other, or a family group uh, who already know they ought to love each other, even if they don't always live up to it, to love each other. But rather he's telling the church, the group of Christians, to love each other. So maybe it's no surprise that the Bible tells us to love others, but maybe more countercultural for us to love other Christians, fellow believers. Jesus certainly taught us to love our neighbour, and neighbours could be anybody, even those we might not expect, like the Samaritan. But he also taught the importance of Christian family, of his church, and the importance of loving within that. Jesus himself certainly did honour his own human family, his earthly parents. He honoured them perfectly much more perfectly than any before or since. But to make this point about the new family that he was setting up and the love to be shown within it, there was a a moment when Jesus' 
mother, Mary, and his brothers came to the door of a house he was teaching at. And somebody said, your mother and your brothers are outside. You're not going to go out and see them. And Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? He looked around at those who sat by him listening and said, here, here are my mother and my brothers. The priority of the new Christian family. And we have a great privilege to be part of that family ourselves. Not by right, but by adoption. As Paul says, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ to the uh, purpose of his will. So how will we behave having been adopted in that new family? How will we behave within the church? Will we ignore it, pretend it isn't really real, it doesn't really apply to us, carry on with life very much as if it had never happened? Will we pay it lip service, acknowledging this new family that we're part of, but letting it take very little of our time or attention? Will we be half-hearted towards it, going through phases of interest and disinterest, but distancing ourselves when it suits? Or will we love this family of the church? This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Uh, John provides a a counter-illustration to that point, again from a a family setting, uh, from the first family, in fact, in verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one, and murdered his brother. Love one another, don't murder each other. Well, you might think to yourself, there's quite a lot of behaviour on the spectrum from loving one another through to murder. Uh, I might not be the perfect church member, not be the perfect Christian, but you know what? I wasn't actually contemplating bludgeoning the rector to death after a Sunday service. I wasn't really thinking about mowing down the organist and the hail of bullets Uh, murder wasn't really on the cards, John. Uh, We don't really need this particular counter-illustration about not being like Cain. But Cain's offence wasn't just the actual act of murder itself. It was also what lay behind the murder. We read on in verse 12. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. His own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. There was a sort of irrational hatred and envy that led to the murder. And that same irrationality and envy and hatred is the cause of so much more than just murder in the world today. It can infect and does infect every human heart. That's what we need rescuing from. Jesus himself knew that dynamic and taught on it in the Sermon on the Mount saying, you've heard it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. A bigger problem than just murder. So Jesus said, be reconciled to those you're tempted to be angry with. Let love triumph in that way, particularly in this new family of the church. Let love cover that anger. All of us as Christians here are works in progress. We're not perfect people. 
Church is a spiritual hospital as much as it is a bastion. This is a place for wounded and wounding people. And therefore all of us can and sadly do hurt others. We forget commitments, we don't live up to expectations, and we put words out of place here and there. But let's not let the spirit of Cain take over in those moments of hurt, but rather let the spirit of Christ reign and let that spirit of love cover a multitude of offences. We should love one another. And as we do that, John says there are two particular consequences that emerge, persecution and assurance. Firstly, as we love those in God's family, persecution occurs. So verse 13, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Our instinctive reaction to John suddenly transitioning from loving one another to the world hating us might be think, oh, this is a bit of paranoia on John's part. Uh, He's thinking very tribalistically here, thinking just because we've become members of a church, therefore the previous team that we play for hates us, as if it's a sort of football transfer, like if a player's transferred from Millwall to West Ham and all the old Millwall supporters are booing them because they've moved to a different team. But that's not exactly on John's mind. Think about the example he gave of Cain. Why did he hate Abel? Was it because Abel did something to him? Because Abel was mean to him or baited him or mocked him or stole or cheated from him? No, John said Cain killed him and hated him because his own deeds were evil and his brother's were righteous. That spiritually driven, irrational anger and antipathy, which is what much of the non-Christian world does feel towards the church. Sometimes that attitude of irrational hatred is muted, and sometimes it's exaggerated, but it's always present. It's not paranoia that John is expressing but a spiritual reality. Uh, This uh, antipathy towards the church has sometimes been particularly muted in this country, but maybe it's becoming more exaggerated, and perhaps we've seen an example of that in the treatment recently of Kate Forbes running in the Scottish leadership election. We've perhaps even seen examples south of the border in the behaviour of members of parliament here, like Penny Mordaunt and Ben Bradshaw, towards certain parts of the Church of England in recent debates. Again, Paul said in support of exactly what John is saying here, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All of us, whether we're in North Korea as Christians or Little Shelford, it's inescapable. Do not be surprised if the world hates you. But the good news is that when the hatred of the world does become more obvious, pronounced, exaggerated, those are often the moments when actually love flourishes within the church. When we see brothers and sisters in the church in need under the cosh of persecution, then love can grow. By contrast, when that persecution, that hatred of the world is more 
muted. Those have often been the times when love within the church becomes less, becomes attenuated. Those are the times often we become more fixated on worldly problems instead. There certainly are many worldly problems to worry about. Jesus said the poor are always with us and to do good to all, but to do good especially to the household of faith. As we do that good, as we love one another, second outcome, as well as persecution, is assurance, as we see in verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. As you look around the church on a Sunday morning, do you feel some compassion? As you consider Christ's family spread across the world today, gathered in small parish churches and great cathedrals, in house churches and open-air services, in humble tin chapels and great edifices, do you feel some sense of care for that dispersed family? Do you care sufficiently to know a little bit about some of that family? Maybe some personal details of those who you worship with Sunday by Sunday, names and family details and work and health details, and some broader outlines of the more dispersed church around the world, like its distribution among the nations, its challenges in different cultures, and maybe a few cross-cultural missionaries like the ones we support from All Saints. Do you care sufficiently to have acted on some of those considerations, reaching out to Christians in need, serving in some small or great way in the church, praying for the advance of the gospel around the world? If you can answer yes to some or all of those questions, then be assured. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other, because we feel that love, because we show that love. We're no longer living in the domain of darkness, but have been transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son, where there is light and hope and peace. So one instruction, love each other, two consequences, hatred of the world, persecution, and also assurance. We have passed into his family. Finally, in this short section from John, he gives us some more texture and direction on what loving God's family actually looks like from verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Christ's love is wide and high and deep and long. It's long-suffering and enduring, personal and collective, exemplary and victorious. But perhaps the key distinctive the key defining aspect of Christ's love 
is that it is sacrificial. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us in sacrifice on the cross. The highest expression of love is therefore not giving a rose on Valentine's Day or a marriage proposal on a sunset beach, but rather a lonely cross outside a city wall. This is how we know what love is. And we are able to show grace and love and care to others because of the love first shown to us there. When we were still far off, Jesus brought us near by his own blood. We didn't deserve his love. We did nothing to earn it. But he freely gave, he freely sacrificed. He gave his life for us in love. And if Christ laid down his very life, how easy it is by comparison for us to give up material possessions for others. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? We are very blessed to live in a time and a place when we have relatively few material needs. That's not to say they're absent, but they're certainly fewer than they would have been in the relatively recent past. We're very unlikely, as John would have been, to walk into church on a Sunday morning and see somebody starving or shivering in rags in the corner. Such challenges do still exist, however, in other parts of the world, as we well know. And as global citizens in a globalised world, we do have more responsibility now to deal with that than we would have done in the past. There are several Christian mission agencies that do uh, reach out to and serve the church in material need in other parts of the world, like Barnabas Aid and Anglican Aid, and the agency we support here, uh, Hover Aid, working in difficult parts of the world with the church there. I'm not saying we should simply outsource this part of our Christian life and that part of care for brothers and sisters in need. Uh, Certainly we shouldn't just throw money at the problem, but much better to be informed and to get intelligent about it, to find out about the church in less affluent parts of the country or the world, and maybe to visit and take an interest. It's good to emphasise that this sort of care for the church in need is certainly not to earn God's favour. That has already been given and guaranteed, but rather to evidence our reception of the grace he's given us, the love he showed us, to evidence our entry into this new family of the church and to exercise the faith that we hold in him. Jesus says, love one another. A commandment we were given at the beginning and one he gave as a new commandment. Let us walk in it. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the great love that we were shown at the cross. Thank you for the Lord Jesus laying down his life there for us and for the new life that we have as a result in this wonderful family that will be forever. 
keep us mindful, we pray, of the parts of this family that are suffering and to take action to alleviate that suffering where it is in our power to do so. For his sake. Amen. lovely closing song to sing now. Let's uh, stand if you're able. I invite you to do that to uh, sing this together. From heaven you came, helpless babe. This is our God, the servant king. Christ 
Take a seat. And I invite you to stay after the service for for coffee and tea if you're able to do that. It is an opportunity to demonstrate that uh, love for the brethren that uh, uh, we were called to in the Word of God this morning. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So let me lead us in a closing prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of your holy word. May it be a lantern to our feet, a light upon our paths, and a strength to our lives. Take us and use us to love and serve all people in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.